causes of death. Uh, but, um, you know, Bill and I interviewed him twice. Very, he was a very nice man to me. Um, so, you know. Uh, He's the, one of the people in the entertainment industry, particularly because we have his work with us still. And periodically they'll play Gunsmoke again. Mm -hmm. He was never supposed to age and he was never supposed to die. He was just supposed to be Matt Dillon forever. So it's it's hard for me to get my arms around it when somebody like James Arnest dies. One private thing one private thing about James Arnest. We had we had only one restriction. Um he didn't he he lost his daughter. Oh and he did not want to talk about that. I didn't know that. Yeah. So that was the only restriction we ever had. Mm -mm -mm. How old was she when she died? I'm not oh. too sure. I'm not too sure. Was she young? I think so. I think it was suicide. Oh gosh. Yeah. Oh gosh. Yeah. So that was the only restriction we had. Sounds fair. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, that's not something we would cover anyway. But that was just part of the negotiation. Yeah. So that was that was his heartbreak of his life. Yeah. You happen into questions like that. Tell us about your family. Mm -hmm. I know you have kids. Type thing. Yeah. So it was nice that he gave you a heads up. Right. Well, I'm afraid, I, as much as I hate to say it, there are too many reporters, too, that that kind of thing is primarily what they go for. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't have much patience with people like that. Well, he, he told us on the air, he loved coming on with this. Uh, he would he would do our show morning, would have accepted an offer to go on Larry King. Really? Because I think we we didn't pry into that kind of no, stuff. It was it was a conversation, mm -hmm. and you appreciated what he was going to share with us. Right, right. How nice, how nice. So, what have you been up to this week, sir? Well, just usual stuff. Um, working as usual. I don't know how much I've got done, but uh, <laughs> doing and trying anyway. Things you're right. Do what? I said doing and done are two different categories. Oh. You are so right. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Well, well it's, uh, you know, it's been worse, I guess, but I don't know. We seem to get pushed a lot for some reason. <laughs> We're trying to get an awning done before Barbara goes to the beach next week. And the beach? Yeah, the beach. Oh, how We're going. I have nothing. I've lost nothing down there, and I'm not looking for anything. <laughs> Are, are you both going, or is she going alone? No, no, she's going with her cousin and his wife and two-year-old and his mother. So there's a bunch of them going, but I'm not one of them, thank goodness. <laughs> you mean you don't want, you don't like having sand between your toes? I don't mind that so much, but I just, uh, I'll find it here, not at the beach. I guess the worst thing, well, I invented the beach since I was about seven years old. Well, that's not exactly true, but that was when I went to the beach, mm -hmm. for beach sake. And uh, the thing that I remember most was sand in the bed and <laughs> in your clothes and everything oh, yeah. else. Yeah. Not comfy. Well, i tell you one thing. Uh, well, I lived in Costa Mesa with three miles from the beach, and the house I grew up with next door, uh, three blocks from here, uh, 2391, we had a shower outdoors in back. They built it just strictly for people who would go, gone to the beach. So you would take the shower outside in the backyard. Mm -hmm. Then go into the house. So that's how you got rid of the stand. Way to go. All that that's good a stuff. good idea. Yeah. 
was an excellent idea. Mm -hmm. I have a question for you before it jumps out of my head, sir. Yep. I was going through my old list. Now, I've got everybody's envelopes all set, and yours are, yours are here with the current ones that I owe you. But several weeks and weeks and weeks ago, you had asked for Beulah and Aunt Jemima. Yes. I think I sent them, but I didn't cross them you off. Did I send them to you? You did. Okay. You did. Okay. I can cross them off the list then. Yes, you can. Thank you, sir. I really, I keep. I've got, I've got to get them all in one pile and labeled. I know that. Well, I, I keep really good lists. Apparently, I don't keep really good check marks when I finish my list. Okay. I well, that. Thank you. Thank you. If we're, if we're talking about money. No, we're you not. Didn't, you didn't send it. I, I, do you notice how quickly I came in with no, we're not? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm smart. <laughs> I'm smart for stuff like that. <laughs> no, I didn't send money. Okay, well, you know, you don't need to check that off. You can, you can keep it uh, on your list. Don't waste your time at the mailbox. <laughs> you, you, you can make a weekly trip, Patricia, with yeah. that. You may have better things and to do than waste your time. And remember, friends and neighbors, you cannot get a dollar bill and a postcard. This is true. Who said that? Who invented the postcard, I wonder? Well, it's been around for a million years. I know, but who was the bright idea to, send, to make a postcard? My guess is we had postcards before we had envelopes. Well, I, you sure did, because envelopes aren't as old as you might think. Mm. Not sure when they came into existence, but uh, for quite a few years, you know, you would fold the letter and put a wax seal on it. Mm-hmm. There wasn't any envelope. So people would send messages on cards. Sure. All the early postmen knew what the information, the gossip and the information was in the neighborhood because they read the cards before. They yeah, they could, they, could tell, they could tell the next door neighbor what was going on. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and, and, and then the, occasionally, the, occasionally in after that was a party line. Yeah. The, uh, or, everybody got it firsthand. Or the telephone. Uh, Frank Pesci said, Sack, you know, he went, He built. He had a radio station over Carolina Island, and everything you had required an operator uh, to hook you up from one one person to another until 1980. So they had a, a switchboard, and Frank said, if you ever wanted to find somebody, you pick up the phone, and the uh, operator would tell you where they were. Sounds oh. right to me. Yeah. Yeah. A better system. Yeah, you know, there was, and I don't know how to look it up to try to find it because I wasn't paying attention when it was on the news, mm -hmm. so I missed where. But sometime within the last six or eight months, there was a news article that some little town in Idaho, I think, had finally gotten a telephone. Huh. Oh my word. Yep, there'd never, there'd never been one in town before, they and got, I just cannot remember the name of the place. They got a TV set before a telephone, huh? Well, that wasn't mentioned. They were just talking <laughs> about telephones. But I think I told you, too, that um, there was an interview or something with a, um, a mayor in mm -hmm. Pennsylvania, I think, mm -hmm. sometime around 1900 that they had a, they'd gotten a telephone in the town hall. And he made a, a speech that he could envision the day that every town in America would have a phone. Every town in America. 
Yeah, every town in America would have a telephone. Wow. Well, you know, I, I don't know if you ever heard the story that one time I had uh, Pat Boone on the show. And I asked him how he broke in the show business, and he told me, you know, he got on the, um, uh, the guy who took over from Major Bowles, Ted. Ted Mack? Ted Mack, amateur hour. And so he won the local contest, went up to New York. Uh, got on the show and went back home to Tennessee and he was, you know, reading the choir in a small town. Nobody had any phones. And so, and back then, you were supposed to show up back every week and here in New York and he's down in Tennessee. They couldn't find him until somebody knocked on the door. Hey, is there a guy named Boone in there? She said, yeah. He wanted on the, he wanted the phone. It was like 60 miles away. <laughs> and they had to get him in the car to get, to pick up the phone and said, the people, the Tim Axel, where you been? We've been looking. You need to get back up here to win the show. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> it's a great story. I should pull it out one Saturday night and play it. You know, him telling yeah, the story. Yes, yes, that, that little clip. Uh-huh. What a great story. Yeah. Well, what I want to hear, and of course, I wasn't born when it happened, and I've never heard the complete story about how Major Bose got caught and his downfall. I only know sketches of what happened. Is there anything about it anywhere? Not really. I know he died in 1946. And, but I think his show really was a, a 1930 phenomenon. So I would yeah. think... I would yeah, think, but, but what I'm talking about is I thought he was caught passing messages to the Germans. I don't know anything about oh, that. I never heard well, that. Well, th that's what I had heard, mm. and he was doing it on the radio mm. show. Mm. I haven't heard that one. I've heard that all my life. Huh. I don't know if it's really true. Yeah. One of those folk that you don't know. Yeah. Well, it may be. Yeah. I've never had any means to yeah. check it. I've just always heard it. Yeah. How interesting. No, it's not something that I've ever heard either. I, I was kind of amazed. Uh, well, I don't guess I really was. But, and I don't remember what I really heard about when... Um, Tokyo Rose and Axis Sally. Yep. Axis Sally uh, died. It was later than I thought. Yeah, there was more than one. They had two, three, four gals played uh, Beatles roles. Okay, I was not aware of that. Yeah, some died in the seventies, some lived into the eighties. Mhm. Mm um, and they, you know, they came back to the United States to live. And I think uh, Jack French has an article on one of his, uh, on his website, he was helped trying to um, defend one of them, and as far as playing the situation she was in, try to clear her name and, uh, through Congress, if I recall. I don't remember the exact details of the story, but uh, it just well, very I interesting. You know, it really makes you wonder if they did it voluntarily, well, but I mean. I think you can also see at the time and where they were, they can sure be caught between a rock and a hard place. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and especially if you didn't want to... Have to do. Right. Probably, they didn't intend to. Probably someone with a hard decision. Right. Yeah. Because in a lot of cases back then... <laughs> The wrong decision was a fatal decision. Mm -hmm. That's true. 
somewhere in my collection, I have a list of the, I believe there were five. Major uh, uh, Major Haha was one of them. Right, right. They actually, the British actually hung him. Right, and there were, I'm, I'm confident there were five. There were the two women and three men. Right. Sally and Tokyo Rose, mm -hmm. and uh, Lord Haha. Lord Haha. And Something named Joe. I don't forget the uh, handle, I think. And I, I, the other two guys no. are, are just lost somewhere in here. Right. Um, Access Sally. It's, it's, it might be on the other computer. Mm. I will go look. Keep talking. That's Patricia. This is Hollywood. I'm Walden. We are here having breakfast at the round table. <laughs> this, is, this is true. We're serving possum tomorrow. <laughs> Invited us all to breakfast. Yeah, he's serving Absolutely. serving uh, fricassee. What 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 was what we having over there, Hollywood? What what the delicacy uh, of fried the, turtle? Fried turtle. Oh no 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 no. What it, no there no, you no. go. What would be a uh, a North Carolina dish that you would normally have in your state that you would not see other places? I don't know. I haven't been other places. You haven't you haven't ever stepped out of, out of the state of North Carolina. I didn't quite understand what you said. You've never snuck out of the state of North Carolina? Oh. Um, well, yeah, but only briefly. Oh, <laughs> okay. uh, So, and I was in Tennessee once. I was in Virginia once. Hey. And I went to Boston when I was nine years old, but that was to the hospital. And um, I kind of remember the trip, but I don't remember what I ate. That's, that that must have been quite that must have been taking a North Carolina boy all the way up to Beantown must have been a surprise to the old system. Well, it's the only time I've ever been on an airplane too. Mm. Are you ready? Yeah. All right, we are here. I know I've got other information as well. We've got um, Douglas Chandler, Robert Henry Best, Frederick Kaltenbach, Edward Delaney, Jean Anderson. Ezra Pound? No way. Is that possible? Ezra Pound? Constance Drexel? Max Koischwitz? I hope I'm I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, Mildred Gillars, who was Axis Sally, and Iva Dacchino, who I believe was Tokyo Rose. Yeah. Um, all of those people were doing broadcasting. Yeah, Jeff Finch has an article on, on Tokyo Rose. I wonder if it's still got up on his website. Say that again? Jack, uh, Jack French has an article on Tokyo Rose. Right. I think on his website. Let's see what we've got for Lord Ha Ha. Um, Axis Sally and Lord Ha Ha. Yeah, I think Lord Ha Ha was William Joyce. William Joyce, yeah. He was the one. He was, he was executed. I think everybody else just served jail time. My word. But I, I said five. There were a whole lot more than five. Sure was. We're all broadcasting uh, for different sides, different countries, different... Well, I don't know. Most people may or may not know that some of our radio reporters were tossed into jail. Uh, Max Jordan, who was the NBC reporter in Berlin, once the Germans uh, uh, swore in, uh, he, he had to spend some time in prison before we could get him out of there. So, it was not an easy job being in radio. It wasn't. Not an easy job mm -mm. at all. 
So, are you in the market for a question? Because I've got a honey for you. It was Philip Carney. <laughs> yes, it was Philip Carney. I didn't even get to ask you my bad question. Good for you. I'm a, I'm a mind reader. You're a mind reader. Well, thank you yeah. for the Philip Carney. You, you took everybody out of their pain. Because that was, that was okay. around for a while. So... I've got the maid was the maid was red something and I cannot remember what. Ah. Let me see. Um, I do have. Hold on. Boy, dee boy, 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 dee boy. That was Philip Carney and Voyage of the Scarlet Queen, the catch. Oh, Philip Carney. Gee, I had um, Gallagher was his his last name, but um, yeah, Red Red Gallagher. That was it. Yeah, Gallagher. I remembered the red. I didn't. Oh, there it is. Yeah, it was Red Gallagher. There he is. Okay, I'll have to cross that one off. I had I had. Well, the, I, you know, it's interesting about the voice of Scarlet Queen. There was a show before it called it the uh, uh, Black. Black Voyager, I think it was. Well, and I think in the voice of Scarlet Queen, we know it was Elliot Lewis, mm-hmm. and I think it was Howard Duff in, in the audition. Uh, they played his you know, right-hand man. In the other broadcast, they flipped, they flipped the roles. I thought that was always interesting that you could hear, you know, these two guys playing pretty much the same types of shows, you know, uh, deep, uh, high-C voice. Well, I'll tell you what happened. Yeah. Uh, Elliot Lewis won the... Tyler Rowe from uh, the other guy in a card game. Probably true. I would doubt, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so they had to change the name of the show. Yeah. Well, he and Howard Duff, who maybe people may even know with Sam Spade, they were best buddy. They got together for Armed Forces Radio, and they were uh, they were responsible for much of the radio shows you hear that Armed Forces. They were the one cutting the commercials out. Howard Duff and Elliot Lewis. Correct. Yeah. Gee, two of my favorite people. Two of your favorite people, and you, and you would hear occasionally somebody saying this is the Armed Forces Radio Network. A lot of times that's Howard Duff. No, Josh. Yeah. Well, it's nice to know that two of my favorite people liked each other. Yep, they liked each other, they're best friends, and they had to work in Hollywood, so they would do the military uh, calisthenic in the parking lot, mm-hmm. then go in <laughs> to the radio work. She was. Amazing, these guys. Not uh, of course, I'm, I'm interested in radio, so I, it's probably more interesting to me. But mm-hmm. uh, concerning World War II, yeah. did you ever hear of a foxhole radio? A foxhole radio? Oh, now, Patricia, one of our callers earlier tonight was asking when we talked with Dennis, was asking, could, could the guy hear radio? In the foxholes. So you're telling me yes, they're white? Could. So what was this yeah, radio like? They were, ho- they were homemade, and you would never believe how. Surely you've both heard of crystal sets. Correct. Sure. All right, well, that was a Cadillac version. <laughs> Actual foxhole radio was made with some means of an earphone, headset or whatever, off of other equipment, a, a safety pin, a piece of lead out of a pencil, 
a piece of wire, and a rusty razor blade. And that made the radio. Serious question here. I have a serious question. Okay. How does a how how do guys or people come up with this kind of a combination that will work? What? Heaven heaven knows. I mean, people play with things, and it's amazing what they can come up with. But how this thing was made, uh, and you can build one, but you do have to use a rusted razor blade. I now, don't ask me why. I don't know. But I know that the a new one will not work because I've made these things. Um, and of course, it's for AM radio only, uh, not FM. Huh? But you would just attach the razor blade to a flat surface, such as a board or something. It doesn't matter what. With a couple of tacks of some kind, so it's stationary, laying flat. And you bend the head of the safety pin at right angles to the arm that it's attached to so that if you if you drive a tack through the eye of the safety pin, the other two sides or the two sides, wire sides of the safety pin are standing up like an A or a tent. Mm -hmm. Okay. You tack it down loosely. You don't want it rigid. A lead out of a pencil or a piece of lead is attached to the pointed wire in with a piece of small wire, you wrap it around it to, to clamp it to the safety pin. These things are quite fragile, but that's how you do it. Um, one side of the headphones go, uh, goes under the head of the safety pin, the other side goes to one end of the razor blade. That's amazing. The, the other side of the razor blade goes to your antenna, just a piece of wire strung out anywhere. And you have to sit there, and the, the safety pin is mounted just off the long side of the razor blade so that the um, lead of the pencil, or the pencil lead that's attached to the arm, or the point of the pin, when you move the pin, it, it the point travels in an arc across the razor blade. And that's how you tune it. You move it slowly across that razor blade until you find a resonant point for the frequency or whatever frequency you can get. Uh, you can't be very picky. Uh, you listen to whatever you can get. And that's how the thing was made. Now, you call them a foxhole radio. Yeah. Which clearly means that the guys out in the field were building these things so that right. they could listen while the war was going on. How long did it take them to get really proficient at this and do it quickly. How fast How fast would a really proficient guy be able to put one of these together? Oh, shoot. They, they could, I imagine that one could be put together in five or ten minutes. Oh. I mean, there's not that much to it. Well, you're talking to a person who would take five to ten years to put these oh, together. Oh, once, you, once you saw one, uh, it wouldn't take you but a few minutes to put it together. Really? Pretty much. <laughs> you pretty much had about everything you needed now. Headphones would be a little bit harder to come by, but there was a lot of radio equipment, and I'll, even back then there was radio equipment. It was nothing like what they have now, but it was still there, and um, most all of it had headphones on it, so you would scrounge one, or the handset off of a tele field telephone huh? uh, would work too. Uh, 
and you wouldn't necessarily have to destroy it. You just pulled it off and modified it for your purpose and then put it back when you were through with it. So where were the broadcasts coming from that they would be able to pick up out in the field? Uh, there was big stations that were on the air. I mean, it wasn't just silent. Um, both sides were transmitting all kinds of stuff. Uh, I mean, you take, like, uh, Axis Sally and Tokyo Rose. Um, they were listening to them with these things. Was and there were other stations on, too. Was there, I know when when you're talking about skip and clear nights and there are so many factors that come into play, was there an average distance from a transmission to a receiver that that would work and beyond that it would get fluky? Well, yeah, but there again, it depends on what frequency they were using and other effects that could be going on. Now, these foxhole things um, were more you know, battlefield-type thing, then you were in occupied territory, and uh, I don't know how far the transmitters were from things like that, but, I mean, you know, like, for example, uh, you would be hearing broadcasts from Berlin and Italy and uh, different places. Uh, I do not know how much power they were running then, um, but as I said, it was all AM, and it works a lot better at night. Um, yeah. And... You know, it, it can go a long way. Now, in the case of uh, actual radio receivers, and of course they had those too, but a guy in a foxhole couldn't very well have one. But those, um, you know, you could receive stuff thousands of miles, just depending on the frequency they were using and the power level they were running. Mm -hmm. But power wasn't as important as the frequency. Um, even today, there are ham radio operators that work every continent and work on trying to contact every country with less than 500 milliwatts of power. That's less than a half a watt. I mean, that's just their thing. Yeah. And, of course, the equipment isn't the Foxhole radio, but the frequency is more important than the power and conditions so it's more important than the power with this is personal and interpolated here but i'm guessing that being in a foxhole all by yourself or knowing that your buddy is a few feet away in another foxhole with junk going off and banging and, and shooting to be able to pick up something on the air in your ears to let you know that there really are people other beyond what you're dealing with must have been a really comforting thing in the field, whether they could understand the language or even get it clearly, at least it was some kind of contact with the outside world. Well, think of it, it killed the dead time. Say that again, please. It, yes. it killed the dead time. Think of all the hours they just sat out there and nothing. Exactly. I yeah. mean, it wasn't fighting continuously. There's a lot of time. You're sitting there doing nothing and huh. sometimes days at a time. Right. And it would be some kind of boring. Mm -hmm. But knowing that there was noise coming from real people somewhere else other than this battlefield that they were sitting in. Right. And, of course, a, a foxhole radio doesn't mean that they were all used in foxholes. I, I recognize Oh, that. no. Um, but it was something that was extremely simple to make. All the parts were available. And, you know, once one person figured it out or had it, uh, he go tell everybody else, and they tell everybody, and 
you know, there's a lot more I can get around you think, but, you know, most people now would not go to the aggravation of tuning one of those things. But, I mean, I did it just because I was curious. Hmm. But, um, you know, everybody nowadays would think you were crazy trying to mess with something like that, but well, it just... Just thinking, you know, how, how important it was to get the BBC, especially for all those curtains that were occupied, and they weren't allowed to tune into the BBC. They sure. snuck it in. Uh, you know, I think of the soldiers who figured out a way how to pick up that receiver. That way they kept track of the news when they were sitting in prison. Exactly. You know. Huh. But I just thought it was interesting. Oh, yeah. uh, it is interesting. Even, even people that had heard of them had no idea what they really were. And um, it's amazing what you can do if you put your mind to it. Uh-huh. It, it kind of makes the simplicity of the Dixie Cup and a string seem pretty good. Oh, yes. Well, we improved on that because we use metal cans that hold up better. Well, but I have so much to learn. That works fine. I have so much to learn. Yeah, well. well I'm really impressed that you knew Philip Carney without my even asking. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. That was... <laughs> that was like uh, I think Red Seagull was talking about it, but I believe I'd heard it before. Um, the story was that there was a lady taking a bath in the creek, and this cowboy came along, and she saw him and grabbed up an old tub laying in the water and held it in front of her. Yeah. And he said, I know exactly what you're thinking. She said, I know you don't. He said, I, I, I certainly do. I know exactly what you... Well, what is it? You think there's a bottom in that tub. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh Harwood. This is... Well... <laughs> I think we lost Walden over there. Walden? Okay, I have a question. We did lose What was, <laughs> what was Pat Brady's horse's name? Pat Brady's horse's name? Good grief. <laughs> I didn't know that was the name of the horse, Harold, with good grief. Yes, yes, hey. Yeah. It wasn't. Yeah, okay. Nellie Bell. Right. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I know if you was going to get that or not. Am I good or what? Yep, you are. Nellie Bell was a Jeep. Yep, it was. Oh, see, you you have so little faith, Harwood. Or a man War, so a little... World War II Willis Jeep. And I, I surprise you all the time, and you shouldn't be surprised. Well, I have, to make an effort, I have to make an effort and keep trying. Sometime I get you. Sometimes you do. You bet you do. I just feel so self-righteous when I get something right. I'm basking. You know, I, I, the, the, the most satisfying thing is you never know about have you ever been zinged and didn't know it? Have I ever been what? Zinged with, with, with some off-the-wall question like that, and you don't even have a clue what happened. And six months later, <laughs> out of the blue one day, you realize you've been hand. Uh-huh. Well, that, that's it. I mean, has that ever occurred to you? Sure. But see, that's why I say that's the most satisfying thing. But you never know that they finally got it. Well, 
then it can't be a satisfying thing. Well, it is, but it would be. No, it would be, it'd be a lot better if you could find out or, or you knew. Sit there and say, I know it's going to happen. I know it's going to happen. Yeah. One day they're going to figure out that that was not a compliment. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Well, you, you you also have the thing, and there, there are people like that, too, that you always hear that um, somebody doesn't, know, not only doesn't know anything, they don't even suspect anything. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> because there's plenty of people like that. <laughs> yes, there are. Yes, there are. Oh, my goodness. We'll, we'll keep family out of this. Ay, ay, ay. I keep... Well, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. I keep thinking I was adopted, you know? Oh, okay. Yeah, but, well, <laughs> apparently I wasn't, so... <sighs> oh, well. Well, I'm very happy that... Um, that we've we've got Philip Carney here. What what do I have that you might like? What might you like? And I probably have. Well, why don't we just go with the Voyage of the Scarlet Queen, since that's what we're talking about. That is just a great show. I really like. I don't. Show. I don't have any of those. Oh, uh, we. I can fix that. Okay. And it, it really is a great show. I, I enjoy it a whole lot. So I have them set aside on disc. I don't have them on my computer. So when I pull yours out, I'll get to listen to a couple, and that'll be neat. Thank okay. you. That would be fine. Okay. I'm still, I don't know why it is. I always have other questions for you. And when I get on here, I can't think of them. And a day or two later, well, I didn't ask that, and I was going to. And right now, I know there are several, and they will not come to me, but anyway. Well, if you send me an email, then I can look up the answers. Yeah, that's right. Uh-huh. And then I'll impress you. Because you'll uh -huh. Right? I'll keep that in mind. Do. Please do. Anyway, y'all have fun, and... Okay. Don't eat too much pie for your birthday, Walden. Thank you. I hope I have plenty of it. Or you, order, or you order to tell them that they ought to buy you one for yourself. Well, you know, we only, Mom generally allows us to order one pie, and Dad and I didn't go off to next door and pick up another, so. so I'll make sure I get plenty of it. He'll be doing this for a week. Yeah. We can wish him happy birthday next week, and he'll still be celebrating. That's true. And uh, I have a cousin that his mother used to make chocolate pies well, after she died. He could never find one he liked, and he cooked some, but he didn't know what she had done to these. Well, an old friend of his, her, his mother's, he ran into her one day somewhere, I forgot what it was, and she told him she was going to make him a couple of chocolate pies. And she did, and um, he either went after them or she brought them to him or something. But nevertheless, they tasted just like his mother's. So he hit them. <laughs> And ate them himself. Oh, jeez. That's one way to do it. Yeah. I That's... wouldn't share. If I waited that long for a chocolate pie that was supposed to be perfect, and it was, I wouldn't have shared. Yeah, well, he didn't. Well, good for him. Mm -hmm. Oh, those uh, chocolate bonbons are on the Keebler graham cracker crumb oh, okay. box. Keebler. Yep, Keebler. And um, I think Barbara's gonna try putting some coconut in one too, or in one batch mm -hmm. of them. I hadn't, we hadn't got that far yet, but she swears she's gonna make them before she goes to the beach. 
Remember who was the spokesperson for keyboard for many years who did their commercials? Yes, but my brain won't let me have it. No, I can't. I have no idea. One of our radio. Oh, it was, it was, um... It was our radio buddy, yep. Yes, 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 yes. Um, Parley Bear. Parley Bear, yeah, that was Parley. You're good. Right. Yep. Chewy, you're can, good. Can I get... And, it, um, and I think the character he, he named was actually for his wife. His wife was named Ernie, and I think that's where they put the character. Hmm. Well, since I answered that, can I get 10 pounds of these bonbons? There you go. <laughs> Talk to Barbara about this. Oh, I thought maybe one of y'all were going to No, no, no. We, we have a misunderstanding here. I do the seat. Huh? <laughs> we, have to, we have to get the, the division of responsibilities correct. Oh, okay. All right. Okay. Well, I, I still think you ought to make you some of them. Yeah, well, <laughs> I wish. <laughs> we'll, we'll have oh, now, now they're, they're, they're very easy to make, and you don't have to cook anything. Uh, but you do have to eat them. Well, yes. What's the point in having them if you can't eat them? See? Well, you could make them and send them to me. I, I was waiting for <laughs> you. wouldn't have to. <laughs> I was waiting for you to suggest that, and you would be the <laughs> You, you would be able to taste test and let me know whether I got the recipe correct. Uh-huh. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Sure could. Yeah. <laughs> you sound too eager. Yeah. Yeah, I'll have fun. I'll tell you later. Thanks, Harwood. <laughs> bye. All right. Bye-bye. I think people are going to request Patricia to start baking instead of sending out the radio show. So I think that that's too much labor for her. I don't, I don't think so. <laughs> 714-545-2071 is only four before four in the morning, East Coast time. How in the world did the time fly? It's Walden's birthday. Yeah. And it is hot air balloon day. And, and we have a stump Walden question that I was going to do right at the top of the show. And we are at the top of the show. <laughs> this is as top as we can get. And the internet really held together pretty well after the first hour. Uh oh, the failure was mine. Yeah, well, hello there. You're on the air. Well, good morning, people. Good morning, Fred. Uh, why are you up at this hour? Well, I've been up since all night. I tried to sleep for an hour or so. I'm probably going back to sleep, too. Why? Why? Never mind. Okay, I have weird sleeping yeah, hours. Yeah, usually Fred goes at the beginning and end of the show sometime. He, he sleeps in the middle. Yeah, I know, but it, um... He, no, it's, it's usually like 5 o'clock. It's not yeah. even 4 o'clock yet. Yeah, I woke up. Well, I'll, I'll play mother. What are you doing out of bed? <laughs> <laughs> I'll play father. I'll sleep when I sleep. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. I noticed last week, Patricia, that I don't know if it's from using my speakerphone or something, but after I hung up, there's sometimes you're talking I can't hear, so... If I ignore you, I'm not ignoring you. Now, sometimes um, I've asked Walden about this, and there's a system. He calls it Loudman. Is that what you call it, Walden? Loudman. If two people are talking at the same time, the one heard, the one who's louder. Call Loudman win. Now, when you okay. say person who is heard, there was some dead air last week when I was talking, and I thought, oh, maybe nobody's saying anything, and then I was listening. I hung up. And I was like, yeah, you were talking. I didn't hear it. Oh, that's interesting. Um, when uh, now I'm I'm confusing myself. When Walden, when you say loud man is heard, is it heard by the other person or is it heard on the air? 
on the air. It, it, okay. In other words, you, neither you can hear each other. I can hear both of you. Right. But neither you guys can hear each other when you're talking on top of each other. Because you're, you're, you're speaking louder than he, and he's speaking louder than you. Uh, so another, him when I'm talking and he's talking at the same time. Right. But you you guys can't hear each other when you're talking on top of each other. And the listener, and over the air, the one that is the strongest voice will be the one that's heard. Right, and that's that's what I was asking. But when Fred is talking and I'm talking at the same time, I can still hear him. Uh-huh. I guess I'm talking about the listeners then. The listeners can only hear one of you. They can only hear one of us. Uh-huh. I, I just noticed that there was, when I hung up last week, yeah. and you had the delay, and I was listening to it, you had said some things in there that I never heard when I was on the phone. Well, sometimes maybe I got screwed a little, you know, we, this thing is actually, Bill Bragg did build some of this with Radio Shack equipment, so maybe the Radio Shack equipment was not doing all that hot at the same time. It can be that way. Well, I was just, just wanted to let you know I wasn't ignoring you. Well, that's good. I just wasn't hearing you. <laughs> well, I had a question that I thought maybe one of you Southern visitors could, your Southern visitors could maybe, uh, or listeners could answer. Uh-oh. I'm a big CCR fan, and I've wondered for my whole life what a hoodoo is. A hoodoo? Hoodoo. Born on the bayou? Chasing down a hoodoo there? Huh. That whole line? Fred, I'm I would sing it, but I can't sing. I don't, I don't do hoodoos, I do squirrels. <laughs> Are <they> squirrels? <laughs> yeah, I don't do hoodoos. Hoodoo? The dog chasing down the hoodoo there. I don't know what a hoodoo is. I want to know what the heck a hoodoo is. So I guess that's what the action is. We'll borrow a friend from the south, give us a call and tell us what the hoodoo. Especially if they're born on the bayou. They live in the bayou in Louisiana, that area. Great well, check. I got friends that lived in the bayou. Because that's the name of the song, born on the bayou. Yeah, I was just trying to think. Who's, who, didn't Doug Kershaw and... Tanya Tucker probably sang your Bayou songs. Led by you, led by you. I don't know. Every time I've asked, even the diehardest of CCR fans, all they can tell me was he needed something to ride with Voodoo. Now, what's CCR? Creedence Clearwater Revival. Oh, okay, okay. See, that's too new, so that's why I wouldn't know what that was. Yeah, they did that song. It's called Born on the Bayou, and it's about hound dogs chasing down a hoodoo there. Hmm. And I don't know what a hoodoo is, but I want to know. Hold on. Born on the Bayou, Born on the Bayou. Don't go away. I don't think Fred and I are planning on it. <laughs> <laughs> Just a little boy standing to my daddy's knee. My papa said, son, don't let the man... Get you do what he done to me, cause he'll get you, cause he'll get you now. This sounds really exciting. <laughs> no, it's amazing how dull lyrics can be, and when somebody like Creedence Clearwater, and they go, it's just electric. Okay, here's the next stanza. I remember the Fourth of July running through the backwood there. Yeah. I can What's still that? hear my old hound. Barking, chasing down a hoodoo there. Down a hoodoo there. I want to know what a hoodoo is. Well, I'm, I'm sort of afraid to look, but I'll check. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
you guys keep talking, and if I disappear, it's something that maybe we... Maybe it is a wild squirrel. Maybe it's not, maybe it's not appropriate for family radio. I know. That could be, too. Well, Fred, how was your week? As, as Patricia is going to dive off into outer space out there to look. Okay, I had a great week. Good. I had a great week. I had a, a long weekend, and both the students I work with on Friday had other obligations, so I got the day off. Ah... Which and was you, nice. And you get paid for that, too? No, unfortunately, I See, don't. Gee, you got, so you got well, to pay. One of them I do, not for the other one. You got, you get, you get, hey, well, that's an interesting, so when you, let's say you're coaching basketball, and they have to cancel the game, you still get paid for that, too? Yes, okay. I get paid, uh, for basketball, I get, it's an annual, I get an annual check divided into two, uh, an annual salary divided into two checks. Okay. So we get one at the very beginning of the year. Maybe after the first couple of practices, we'll get our check. Okay. And then we get one at the end of the year after everything's been turned in. Are we ready? Uh-oh. Here we go. Okay. Hoodoo. Traditional African-American folk magic incorporating elements of African and Native American mysticism. It is not to be confused with voodoo, which is a religion with its roots in West Africa. So hoodoo, it's like magic spells. So my question is, how does a hound dog chase down a hoodoo? Probably the person who does the magic spells. Oh, okay. Okay. Don't buy that. Sounds good to me. Walden? Well, well, it had to be some kind of creature, though, by the way the song Yeah, had but it. the dogs, the dogs have great scents. Maybe they can pick, track the scent down. Well, try one more. Hoodoo, hoodoo, magic healing, especially in African-based folk medicine. Uh, ah, and hoodoo is a practitioner of hoodoo. So oh, okay. And so that's what he was doing. There we go. So chasing down the magic maker. Got it. Okay. All right, do I get a prize? You get a lifetime surprise of graham crackers. Okay. Oh, you're brave. I used to. Alright. In which country was the comic strip Carrie and the Pirates set? Never heard of it. Carrie and the Pirates. Carrie and the Pirates! Well, I will take a guess. Okay. Uh, can't be the United States. It would be too easy. So, Carrie and the Pirates. Um, and I'll give you a hint. No, no, no. No hints? Walden just can't wait to jump in with hints. Okay. Could be in the country? Give him a hint. I, I thought I would give him the villain. Who? The villain's name. Dragon Lady. Yeah, the Dragon Lady. That could be Oh, big. China. Very good, Fred. <laughs> All right. <laughs> right. Walden, Walden gave you the Here's right. Good this is good. Okay, well, I've got, a, I've got an envelope here ready to go out, but I can add something to it. Oh, uh, I don't know what else I can get. Why don't you shut me at the end of the sun? You know what you can get? Is it iron side on the radio? I beg your pardon? No, iron side was never on the radio, was it? Iron side was never on the radio. So, um, shut me military stuff. 
What about Americana stuff? Or is that coming next time, too? Like Americana? You know, like these little historical pieces. Like on the Bill of Rights and the... Or did I ask for that last week? Yes, for last week. Boop, 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 boop. Fred wanted... This is your life you've got coming. Okay. What about some of those Americana specials? So he wants to get ready for his 4th of July, so he wants Americana. I'm, I'm sorry, you wanted Sam Shovel or This Is Your Life, and you got Sam Shovel, and I can give you This Is Your Life if I didn't. Yeah, I can give you This Is Your Life. How well, that'll work, too. That'll but work? He wants Americana, 4th of July stuff. Yeah. Say that again? He wants 4th of July Americana, patriotic. Well, then oh. go to your room. <laughs> get together. <laughs> My life is consumed for the next week. <laughs> oh, but there's hundreds of them out there. Who are? You two, really. You keep me... <laughs> I don't want to. I'm just going to send you this is your life. Well, then, hush. Just... Okay, this is your life. Just... Birthday. Well, last, year, last night I played the uh, Bon Valley show for the, it was June 5th, 1945. Well, good. You sent oh, it. Oh, that was pretty good. Yeah. It was definitely different. Good. You yeah, sent it. It was, uh... <laughs> <laughs> that was when they kept interrupting for the war thing. How, how, are we winning the Civil War? Are we winning? Yeah. The, uh, the, the one they fight on TV? Yeah, the North or South. Okay. Well, depending on whose side you're rooting for, I guess. Well, it depends on what part of the war we're in. Yeah, that's true. South was winning right up to the end, then they weren't winning anymore. Yeah, 63 was sort of the, the uh, year they sort of flipped that thing around, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. I didn't realize, and here I've been a civil, this was how much dates stick in my mind. Yeah. I've been a big Civil War buff forever. Right. And I knew the dates that, get, uh, that Grant took, get, Gettysburg, January, uh, July 1, 2, and 3. Yeah, yeah. So it was pretty much the fall of the South was that weekend. Yeah. They lost Pittsburgh in the West, and they lost, uh, they lost Gettysburg, where, where we lost both the that, That's a bad week. Yeah, that was a really bad 24 hours. Yeah. yeah. Now, you know, I've never been to Vermont. Do you have much American Revolution uh, battlefield for landmark? The only thing that happened in Vermont, um, we have a place called Hubbardton Battlefield which is about a half hour uh, from my house. Mm -hmm. And what happened was, after um, the, the, the British, the first year they tried to take Fort Ty, that's what Ethan Arnold, Benedict Arnold met uh, the British at Valkyrie Island. They were coming down from Canada in their boats, and he met them there, and it was a big naval battle. It basically turned back the invasion force. And so they came back about a year later to take the fort, and the Americans were outnumbered like 10 to 1. And uh, so they decided that they were going to sneak out in the middle of the night. Mm -hmm. Well, they had a couple of French officers with them, and uh, the French, one of them had a house just outside the fort, 
And at the time, the French and British they despised each other. Mm-hmm. And so there was no, he wasn't going to let any, uh, any British officer take over his house, so he burnt his house down. Well, what that did was it alerted the British to the Americans trying to get out. And, uh, there was, there was a bridge that, kind of like a floating bridge, that separated the Americans from the British, and a couple of soldiers were supposed to blow that bridge up. They got drunk and passed out, didn't blow the bridge up. So halfway through the retreat, the British got wind of it. What he was trying to do was the, the commander of the fort was trying to get out of the fort and consolidate with the rest of the American army up in Canada. And fortunately, because they got caught, the British went out after them and were catching up to them. So the rear guard of the Colonials broke off and fought the British at a place called Hubbardton. Just kind of like a rear guard action to slow them down so the rest of the army could escape. That was it for Vermont, really. And they, they, there was a lot of troop movements through Vermont, but even the Battle of Bennington wasn't fought in Vermont. It was fought over the border in, in Massachusetts. Interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. But that was it. The whole battle was 14, 15 minutes long. That was they reenacted every year. They got a big you know, thing. I remember going to the battlefield as a kid, and they had this really cool. 3D map of the area, and it had lights. There was red lights for the British and yellow lights for the Americans. And it just showed the movement of the troops and stuff. Wow. Through lights, that was right. kind of cool. But, uh-huh. Yeah, now we got Fort Ticonderoga is right over the border to Vermont. Mount um, Independence. I guess that's the other thing. Um, the uh, uh, British the British or the Americans? No, the British um, actually brought cannons up Mount Independence. And that's how they took over Mount Independence. Um, and they leveled them at the fort, and the, the Americans were like, no way that you could have, you know, there's no way nobody could get cannons up here. The British did it. So they had to clear out of Mount Independence, and then, then they lost Fort Ty. And of course, the original Battle of Fort Ty, when Ethan Allen took it over. But that was it. There's not a, there's not a lot. Uh, most of those fought in you know, New York, Massachusetts, and then further south. Interesting. But yeah. We did have the Confederate Army robbed the bank in Bennington. Huh. Confederate Raiders in the Civil War. Mm-hmm. They came down through from Canada and robbed the Bennington Bank. That's not a nice thing to do. No, but it was during wartime, so. What about your Green Mountain boys? They, they were a bunch of drunks, is what they were. Uh, are you serious in the river? No, I'm not. They were, I'm dead serious. They, they, they met in a tavern in Bennington with Ethan and Ira Allen. Were, were their leaders supposedly, and they were drinking one night after the after the outset of hostilities, and they basically a mob decided they were going to take over Fort Ty. 
I'm crushed. And uh, he uh, and he met up with uh, actually there was a, a an officer. And I can't think of the man's name right now. Um, who the hell was it? He's a famous officer too. It might even have been Benedict Arnold, but it was somebody was commissioned by the Colonial Congress to take the fort. And it wasn't Benedict Arnold and his men. And these two forces met up before they hit the fort. And basically, Benedict Arnold had more men than this other guy. So he basically ended up commanding the operation by virtue of having more men. Um, and it was actually pretty... It was pretty impressive the way they did it. They didn't fire a shot. I'm I'm very disappointed in this description. Well, they were they were they were definitely drinkers. Um, Maybe they had the right idea after all. What yeah, do you think, Walden? I mean, they were they weren't so they weren't, they weren't soldiers per se. Not. Yeah, they really weren't. They uh, I mean, they got better at it because they did fight the whole war, uh, and, and they were they. They, as a matter of fact, there's caves where they hid out from the British that aren't too far from here. Yeah. And they lived in and out of caves, and, and they did what they could during the war. I mean, they, they did fight, um, but they were more, they weren't like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't call them regular soldiers, though. Okay, you don't have to. Ethan Allen kind of thought of himself as a, a soldier, but his brother was more a soldier, actually all very disconcerting. I won't sleep well for a week now. Well, there's a lot of truth about our heroes. You know what they say, the winners write the history, right? Yeah. And we got statues to the man, so he did do some good stuff. Did you play board games when you were a kid? I love board games. What did you play? What did I play? Yeah. Everything. From Monopoly to aggravation, sorry, trouble, headache, life. Oh. And then when I got to be a teenager, I got into role-playing games like Dungeons and Dragons and all that kind of stuff. Did you really? Boot Hill. Ooh. Top, top Secret. Down in dark. Woo. I love games, yeah. We used to make games up, too. Like what? That was fun. What? Like what? Oh, God. Example. I can't even think of some of them. We made so one cool game up. A kid would make we up. made a game up about um, my cousin and I made a game we played forever on getting elected, running for president. Oh wow, I love it. Yeah, we had to go from state to state, and it was pretty funny. We it was, it was kind of comical, but it was fun. Yeah, we would, we would bribe congressmen the whole bit, <laughs> <laughs> get votes. You know, you had to earn votes and stuff. This is not my brain. We played that. Uh, we played tons and tons of games. That's all there was to do. There was no computers. You bribed the congressman? Yeah. Yeah, we had things where we had to bribe people to get votes. Yeah. I'm crushed. Yeah. I agree now. We had no chance cards. You know, there was one like, you, you get tally of votes and stuff, and uh, if, you, if you got a state, you would get that card. And uh, we had cards where, like, scandals would come out and you would lose half your states. Yeah. I'm, you, you know, know what about? 
You've just wrecked my entire Sunday. My Green Mountain boys are trashed. You're out there as a little kid. I'm so impressed that you're playing president games, and now you're telling me you bribed the congressman. Well, yeah, we're, we're pretty smart kids. Gee whiz. We know what politics is like. Well, then help me. Well, you should kind of understand. This is like, I was a kid in 72, 73. This is Watergate time. This is what America's all about, huh? <laughs> That's right. This is Watergate time. Oh, I'm crushed. Yeah. Candles are huge. But, I'm crushed. Yeah. Well, Fred, I do appreciate your calling and crushing my my American history visions here. Uh, well, you guys want to go to Washington? What? <laughs> <laughs> what do you have? What do you have on Calvin Coolidge? Wasn't he from Vermont? Yes, he was. Not a lot. He was a quiet man. I know. My, you know, what my favorite Calvin Coolidge story is. Yes. He was having a dinner. Uh, he was. Part of the White House and having dinner was sitting by a lady, and she said, "You know, I bet uh, somebody ten dollars or whatever the amount was, I could get you to say more than three words during the whole dinner." He said, "You lose." But he said, "You lose." <laughs> Good man. Good man. I like it. Yeah. I tell you the, I tell you the Lincoln Grant story. It's a pretty famous story. Uh oh. Okay, tell us. About how Grant was a tea, uh, how Lincoln was a teetotaler. Yeah. And never touched a drop of alcohol in his life. Yeah. And how Grant, of course, was, at least the rumor was, that he was a drunk. Mm -hmm. And that he would get drunk before the battle. Mm -hmm. Well, there came a time where Grant was the only general that was winning anything anywhere. You know, and everybody else was getting their butts kicked all over the place. And this, uh, Young lieutenant, knowing how Lincoln felt about uh, drinking, alcohol, yeah, and wasn't a big Grant man, right? Didn't like Grant. Basically, walked into Lincoln's office one day and said, "You know, I have to tell you, sir, that you know General Grant is a drunk. He's 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 he getting drunk for every every time he goes to the battle. You know, he's falling down in front of his troops." You know, and so and so wants you. You know, what if he do something about it? And uh, Lincoln thought for a moment. I guess it was very silent, quiet. And he goes, "I want to thank you, Lieutenant, for bringing this to my attention. Now I want you to do me a favor." You're like, "What's that, Mr. President?" You know, I want you to write General Grant. I want you to find out what brand of liquor he drinks. And I want you to send a bottle to the rest of those idiotic generals. <laughs> That was Lincoln. Yeah, it was a true story. That was yep. Lincoln. Yeah, he's, he's my idol. I was thinking about, you know... I have two people I call heroes. I have a lot of people I respect, but the two heroes are Abraham Lincoln and Mahat Gandhi. I was thinking about Abraham Lincoln. You know, he was under so much stress being president of the United States. Yeah. And, you know, his boy played with uh, Taft. You know, William Taffer later became president of the United States. Yep. And I think they were having a kid game, a, a, you know, a soldier game, and they were going to have, they were going to, they captured, you know, in the game they captured the person, they were going to hang the prisoners, and they couldn't decide whether to hang them or put them in jail. And the word got to Abraham Lincoln that uh, he took time to be the judge. 
of the of the twelve of the two boys, his Lincoln and Taft, and it came down to that he Lincoln decided to write a pardon for the doll. To pardon the doll, even though he did fall asleep during his term of duty, he pardoned the doll. So that so that, that note kept kept around. Now, was there a true story too about him doing the same thing with a real soldier? I yeah. Both ways I think that's true. Yeah, something yeah. about yeah. Uh, a guy uh, he was visiting some kind of military base or right. something, visiting one of his leaders and there was a guy that was uh Go sleep on duty. Go sleep on duty, and they were going to execute him. Right. And Lincoln was like, yeah, let the young man go, or something. He pardoned them. Both through the story, he pardoned them, and he went back in the battlefield and would get, got killed within an hour. Oh, is that it? Yeah. Okay. That's the story. There was something to that effect. Yeah. Yeah. But, anyway, so what do I win? I'm winning This Is Your Wife, right? That's what you said. No, 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 okay, no, no. I'll, I'll let you guys go. i got to get back to sleep. Okay. Um, I'm playing okay. mother now. Got a good show. Have a great week. Okay, you too, Fred. Bye, bye, Fred. Bye. There he goes. I'm playing mother now. You get back to bed. Don't get up again until morning. But it's already morning, Mom. <laughs> no, I don't want to hear it. Back <laughs> to bed. Okay. All right. We've got stuff here. First, we've got Happy Birthday, Walden. You've you've got a whole bunch of hours for your for your birthday. You, you know, Patricia, have you noticed something? What? Here at 425 in the morning, you did all the preparation. The Holly kept us hopping all night long. You haven't no, gotten I'm, to any of your stuff. I'm not going to have any homework for next week. I know. Just carry it all over there. Yeah. Okay. Well, first, I've got an email from underscore Bill. Yes. The second pile of cards in the Monopoly game was a pile of chance cards. Yes, good. Thank you, underscore Bill. Thank you, underscore Bill. Good, good. I was thinking about that throughout the night, and I just couldn't think of it. I couldn't either. Good, good, good. Fixed us. Good. Now, Steve, who is one of our listeners, sent mm -hmm. a couple of emails, mm -hmm. and he said, I remember the Twilight Zone on TV, of course, and... Have heard it on Yesterday USA. Now I also remember reruns of One Step Beyond by Raul Dahl. Is that was that ever on radio? Was it? No. One Step Beyond. I never heard of it. If it was. Okay, Steve Walden is the expert. <laughs> I am not. But if Walden says no, it wasn't. So two bunches for writing. Yeah. <laughs> This is the second week now I've gotten an, an email from Steve. One night he's going to call in. All I right. know it. All right. Okay. Are we ready? Sure. We have three choices here. We can have Walden's baseball question. Mm -hmm. We can have Walden's stump Walden question. Mm -hmm. Or Walden's brain teaser. What does my... My buddy Patricia wants to do. Oh, you can take anyone you want. You're going to get all three, but you can <laughs> you can take them in whichever order you like. Let's go for the stump first. The stump Walden question. This is courtesy of Keiko. He came up with this one, and I think it is a fabulous question. And I said, this goes to Walden. This is a radio question. Who lives at 975 Park Avenue? That was Nell Wolf, and I should go one. Nope. 
Oh, oh, I was, okay, you, you guys are right, that's Asher, I mean, that's, um, that's Helen Asher. You are incredible. I swore you would not know that. What gave it away, the Park Avenue? No, once I heard No Wolf, then you said no, then it clicked, because I remember hearing that address, and then I realized it was Richard Diamond, which is one of my favorite shows. So it was just, just quick. I never thought about it, but it just clicked. Second half of the question, I told him you would surely get. I didn't think you'd have the address. He said, "It, it as far as he knows, the number and Park Avenue was mentioned frequently yeah. throughout the show, and I do recall that. But he he thought that the number 975 was mentioned in only one show. I would I would not be surprised. But he, those, that that's one of those shows I've heard each episode multiple times. So it's uh, probably yeah. ingrained in my head somewhere. The Park Avenue. Uh, gave it away. Okay, and he wanted to know what did Helen Asher call him? What was it? Ricky. 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 Right. right. Yeah. Oh, I knew you would know that one. He had little faith. He had little faith. Yeah. I'm gonna say Dick, and it's not. It's Rick or Ricky. Ricky. Walden's gonna know. Walden's gonna know. Yeah, I love Dick yeah. Powell. Uh, my, I think one of the great. Great, great personalities of uh, bygone there who already made it to eight fifty nine. I know. Yeah. Oh, that was such a heartbreak. Yeah. Okay, so now you've got two left. You've got a brain teaser and a baseball question. Well, let's go for the tough one. It's always the brain teaser for me here. Well, this one it should be pretty easy. How far can a dog run into the woods? Well. It's, it's wherever the wood starts, wherever the wood is at, so that's how far he went to it. What? Well, in other words, if the wood is only two feet away, he starts running there two feet, two feet away. If it's oh, a, in the woods. He's, he's in the woods. He's on the edge of the woods. Yeah. Hey, go. How far in, in... Wherever he can find the nearest tree. Walden. How far into the woods can he run? Halfway. Very good. I knew you could get it. <laughs> I like though my answer to the nearest tree though. That's pretty All good. All right. Well, it depends on what the order of the day is. <laughs> I guess so. Okay. Now we have your baseball question. You're doing very well. Thank you, my dear. Uh, two out of two. Okay. Um, actually, three out of three because I asked you what Helen Asher called. Ah. Uh. Okay. Walden's baseball question. Who was baseball's first $100,000 a year player? Babe Ruth. No. Hmm. Uh, well, I guess, no, that's right. Babe got 80000 and he got more than the president. You know what they, you know what the press asked him? What What he thought about making more than the president in 1927? You know what his answer was? No. I guess he had a better year than he did. Yeah, I had a better year. <laughs> <laughs> that's when he hit like 60 home runs or whatever. Um, Let's see, $100,000? Um, Probably with a big Joe DiMaggio. It is Joe, gosh, darn it, yes. February 7th, 1949. Wow. Joe DiMaggio. Joe, Joe DiMaggio. Yep. 100 grand. I'm a failure. And I bet, I bet he didn't need to take a, a winter job. I don't think he needed to take a winter job. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. Three out of three. I'm a failure. No, you're not. Yes, I am. No, you're not. Oh, yes, I am. 
No, I'm not. Okay, I'm not. Good. <laughs> okay, well, I've got some political campaign history stuff. Well, which I think I would enjoy, so... I uh, think you would enjoy it. Let's, let's roll through them. However... Yes. Let's see what we've got here. Um, I've got some quotations. I've got two quotations first. I, I got a little clip I'm going to play, too. No, you so, don't. Yeah, I do. No, you don't. Yeah, I do. Okay. Okay. But you go first. Okay. And then then we have to play a show. Sure. Absolutely. Okay. And then we can come back, but... That's up to you. We need a break here. Good. Okay. We want to play the show now. We'll come back with the other stuff. Say what? We can play the show first and go come back with, with the other stuff. Okay. That would be good. Why don't we, why don't we do that? All right. All right. See how agreeable? This is how we are in real life, everybody. Yeah. Yeah. We can do that. Okay. Let's do it. So, which one would you like to play first? How about the... Uh, Fibber Show. A Fibber Show first. Oh, yeah. Okay, let's see what we got for a Fibber Show here. We have Fibber, 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 Fibber is the dog license. Yes. Yes. How much is that dog in the window? Yes. The one with the waggy low tail. That too. <laughs> <laughs> Or, as we say in the woods, whatever. Oh, man, I didn't know they had woods up there. Yeah, we've got woods. You we've, do? We've got mountains. Oh, sure. Oh, so man. We've got all sorts of mountain ranges. We're, we're at the north end of the La Appalachian Mountains. Oh, okay. Ramapo Mountains, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Catskills. Mm -hmm. Sure, we've got oh. all sorts of mountains up there. Okay, this is from March 19th, 1940. It's called The Dog License, Fibber gets a notice, bless his little heart, that he has to get a dog license, except they don't have a dog. So he and Molly set off to argue with City Hall to get the mess straightened out. Now, Fibber makes a couple of comments in here, and there are some fun exchanges. One of them is he comes up against Gildersleeve, and the two of them are arguing. They say the same words at the same time, and Somewhere, I came across information that when people, I guess it, I know where it was. It was in an, in um, Laurel and Hardy movie where they said the same words at the same time. They had some exchanges, and the end of the exchange was what goes up a, a chimney, and the other one said smoke. So like pins, needles, something like that. Uh-huh, uh-huh. It's in the exchange here, Fibber and Gildy say pins, and they're, they're trading back and forth. One says pins, the other one says needles. Mm -hmm. Pins, needles, cotton, thimble, what goes up a chimney, smoke. May your, may your wish and my wish never be broke. I've never heard that before. No one on me. I heard the pins and needles, what goes up, uh, uh, and it, it's different. Mm -hmm. What they did in Laurel and Hardy is different from what's here, but theirs ended with what goes up a chimney, and the answer is smoke. And I don't know what it's supposed to do. It, it you know, cement a friendship. It's just some silly um, ritual. It really is a ritual, and they do it in here, and I, I just thought it was kind of fun. So, Fibber and Molly are going off to City Hall to get this straightened out. We have a mailman in here who delivers the notice, and I want you to listen to the mailman's voice. So, we're going to play Dog License from March 19, 1940, and we will be back after the show. 
Johnson Wax Program with Zibby McGee and Molly. Johnson's Wax and Johnson's Self-Polishing Glow Coat present Marion and Jim Jordan as Fibber McGee and Bali with Bill Thompson, the Kingsmen, and Billy Mills Orchestra. The show opens with I Got Rhythm. Well, sorry about that. That sound quality was not up to par, and take responsibility for that. But back when I was collecting those shows, you just never knew the quality. Well, one thing, we've been spoiled. The quality's gotten so much better over the last 20 years compared to 35 years ago. So we've gotten closer to the source. So I'm sorry about that. Well, we'll play that again when we get our hands on a better copy. Hello, Patricia. Hello, Alden. Ha, ha, hi. I forgot to tell you we had an email from Chad to let us know that he was safely out of oh, the tree. Oh, good. Good. He didn't, his heart. he didn't break a tree or anything. 
I mean, it really sounded like a routine, and it wasn't. He really called us from a tree. <laughs> Bless his heart. <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, I'm going to bypass asking questions on this show. Well, I, I, I was just thinking, was that Gail Gordon at the Postman? It was Gail Gordon okay. at the Postman. Hey, Patricia? Yes, Walden? Okay, you were telling me to go shopping. I was trying to figure out if I need to call you back. Oh, you know what? Why don't you give me a call back because it is sounding a little bit choppy. Uh-huh. Can you do that? All right. Okay. There we go. Back. How many friends would you have that allow them to call you at five in the morning? I have one. Um, I th I have one. <laughs> <laughs> um, not very many people call me at five o'clock in the morning. That's true. Not a lot of people. I think that sounds a little bit better. What do you think? A little bit, sure. I can live with it. We'll we'll be able to live with that. Uh huh. That was Mayor Latrivia before he was Mayor Latrivia. That's right. Well, Gordon was the mailman who was doing the arguing. So, I will save the questions on that one, and uh, when we play it again down the line, mm -hmm. we can do that. You bet. Okay, because we do have a guildy, uh, a guildy show. If we can play that when we wind up. Sure, or we can play it now, and that way people know what they're hearing. Say what? <laughs> because we know this isn't good sound. Well, yeah, it's reasonably good, but I do have some questions on that one. So sure, I, I, and I picked this up from a different source. Like, here, you get to hear the sound quality. See, this one approved for you, Patricia. Kraft. See, this sound any better. Kraft presents... The Great Gildersleeve. <laughs> and that sounds a lot better. I think that one's a lot better. Yeah. When we finish up the show, I do have some questions about that one as well. So we can finish up with some questions on that. But I've got some stuff. Oh, right. I have some stuff. I have a couple of quotes. Abraham Lincoln, when he was uh, in 1858, when he was... Um, in the when he was running for the U.S. Senate against Douglas. Right. Well, he was in one of the Stephen Douglas, Abraham Lincoln, the Lincoln-Douglas debates. Uh-huh. And one of the comments he made was, I will leave it to you, my audience. If I were two-faced, would I be wearing this one? Beautiful. Isn't that cool? Yeah. I, I, I'm assuming that Stephen Douglas had called him a two-faced. Uh, they called him two-faced. And poor Abraham Lincoln said, if I'm two-faced, would I be wearing this one? <laughs> Very nice. What a great reply, oh, you know? Yeah. Yep. Okay, Thomas Jefferson, in, an, in an, a 1796 letter to Edward Rutledge, a member of the electorate, said, No man will ever bring out of the presidency the reputation which he came in with. That's true. I'm just thinking, you know how they did the Lincoln-Douglas debates? Have you ever read about them? I don't know what you're asking, but go ahead and... How did they run the debate? Oh, no. Interesting. I don't think more people know this. They would allow one person to speak, 
take a break for lunch and allow another person. In other words, it was an all-day deal. For example, I think Douglas would open up for three hours of a monologue. Take a break, then Lincoln would come back for several hours, then they would break for lunch, or break for dinner, and then come back and finish it up. That's how they ran the debates in 1858. I think they had something going for them. <laughs> you know, if you think about it, they had something going for them. Uh-huh. That was good stuff. Yeah. Okay, I guess I had to throw that in there. Well, we've got some campaign slogans here. Mm-hmm. You remember I Like Ike? I sure do. 1952. You bet. Dwight D. Eisenhower. You bet. Who was called Ike. Mm -hmm. Do you remember 1956, what the slogan was? We want Ike? No. I still like Ike. Ah. Isn't that great? Beautiful. I'm telling you, somebody yeah. got paid for that yeah. and did it right. Well, uh, you know who his PR person was? Oh, yeah, um, Eisenhower? Yep. I do not. Who? It was the movie star Robert Montgomery. You're kidding. He was, his, he was the advisor that really sort of helped Eisenhower get, come up with a proper approach for the TV cameras and everything like that. Well, he did a marvelous job because yeah. as stiff and unappealing as Eisenhower was in the beginning on yep. his first ads and his first appearances mm -hmm. on television, right. he was a general. He was not an actor. Right. And he really came across okay. You can see these things if you if you um, Google up. Um, A series of them, huh? If you Google up Eisenhower and look at his first presentations on television, um, you could tell he was not comfortable. Right. But he did very well, and I I just thought this was great. I still like Ike. And yeah. For the second time through. Oh, good. Gary good. Goldwater, 1964. In your heart, you know he's right. That's right. There was a counter. Yes, and I remember, um, in your heart, you know he's not right, or something like that. Well, it, Goldwater's was, in your heart, you know he's right. Right. And the counter to that was, in your guts, he know, you know he's nuts. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, you know, yeah. um, it was an unofficial parody, and I don't have a source for it, but that's what was circulating. Speaking, you know, the 64 Republican Convention, what's that really known for? Do you know? The Republican Convention? In 64. Uh-huh, when they nominate, uh... Other than... Go Goldwater. Uh, other... No. That was the convention where really pretty much launched Ronald Reagan's career. He, he gave a, a speech, and that's what caught people's eye. Excellent. Yeah. Very excellent. So that's, that's what that's known for. That was very excellent. Okay, 1852. Franklin Pierce uh -huh. referred to the 1844 election of James Polk as president, and the slogan was, We poked you in 44, we shall pierce you in 52. Yeah, very sad, tragic life. We don't know much about Franklin P. Adams, a couple of things. We know his best friend was Melville. The, the author. Mm -hmm. her, 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 we know while he won, he won the election and took the train, uh, they got in a train crash and he lost his son. And the rest of his four-year duty, his wife never came downstairs. She just spent her life up at the second, second level. I didn't realize that happened on the election train. Uh-huh. I did not know that. Yeah. I knew about the... the 
just profound depression that the the woman spent the four years yep. in the White House. In. Yep. I didn't realize that the son was killed on the election train. That's what I that's what I understand. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Okay, Roosevelt for ex-president. How do you like that one? Hmm. That Roosevelt. Was Wilkie's slogan. Ah. Uh, Roosevelt for ex-president in 1940. 1940. You like that? Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if that would have... I don't... I think there could have been better, maybe. I don't think it was a very good one. Because no. people don't hear the ex. You hear Roosevelt... If I say Roosevelt for ex-president... They're going to hear what they're familiar with. Yeah. They're familiar with Roosevelt for president. It, in writing, it looks pretty good, but as a slogan to say out loud, no, I don't think it was very good at all. Well, didn't you tell me that marketing, you, you, you're better off not mentioning uh, your opponent or other product in there and people might forget it? It depends on how you're mentioning uh-huh. but yes, when, when you put a product side by side with another one or you compare yourself uh, brand name to brand name, you automatically set yourself up for confusion. People are going to remember one half of the commercial and you want to make sure it's yours and, that, and they might not. It might not be yours that they're remembering. So right. put something like Tide and, um, oh, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. What, what's a, 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 a soap? Purex. Well, it was say if you put uh-huh. it and Purex uh-huh. sitting side by side, you have no idea which one people are going to remember. If they turn the sound off, they're going to see two products. It, it's, That's true. It, you have to take all contingencies into consideration. When you do a logo design, for example, when you choose a logo design, do not ever depend on color to convey your message. It has to look good in black and white, and then you can put color on it, because if you run it through a black and white copier or chuck it in a fax machine, the color might not necessarily come out on the other end. So if you're depending on color for your message, you lose. Interesting. Okay. That's good stuff. Yeah, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So what happened on June 4th, 1896? Um, we had the, uh, the gold crash, the, the, um, we had the, the, go, the pricing jack of, of, of the, of the gold market by, um, um, by the guy to try to counter the market, the gold market. I don't know. What, what, what you got? You lost me on that one. Well, um, I'm thinking at that time, uh, we had the problem with uh, Grover Cleveland had a hard problem with the bankers. And they were trying to corner certain commodities to try to force him to make a deal with them. And he went ahead and just kept selling uh, pressure commodities to break the market. Got it. Okay. Yeah. All right. But that's not what I was asking. Okay. I'm very sorry. That's okay. It's a nice chunk of history, but it's uh, uh, and it probably is a whole lot more exciting than. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But um, on June fourth, eighteen ninety-six, Henry Ford made a successful pre-dawn test of his horseless carriage. No kidding. Uh-huh. Wow. And the, what just blew me away—it was called a quadricycle. Huh. Can well, you imagine that because it had no, four wheels, no. four 
No, no, what? I can't imagine a tire like oh, that for oh, crying out loud. I mean, I, I got something wrong. No, no, no. No, a quadricycle because it had four wheels, and he did it in the streets of Detroit. Isn't that pretty cool? That's good stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we could we could go through a whole bunch of stuff that is useful and fun, and we've got useless and fun, but it's also after 5 o'clock in the morning. So, would you like to save it for next week? You, up to you, my dear. I'm with you. Whatever you want to do. Yeah, let's play the Gildersleeve show. Alrighty. Which I think is just a whole lot of fun. Gildersleeve. Let me see here. We've got Gildersleeve, Gildersleeve. I know Let it. me play one quick. had a signal to allow their staff, if they're listening, that they get, better get their butt into the studio because something about ready to happen. And what they did, they put an extra time on their three time to make it the fourth time to let everybody knows down the line that something's about ready to break. So here's a sample of that, Patricia. Here we go. Yes, of Paris. From the NBC newsroom in New York and in Washington, the National Broadcasting Company has brought its listeners a commentary on the German report of Allied landings in France. The commentaries by Robert St. John, Richard Hardness, and Morgan Beatty. The National Broadcasting Company will continue its network service throughout the remainder of the night in view of the important but so far unconfirmed reports from overseas. This is the National Broadcasting Company. <laughs> Just a little piece of radio trivia. And we're back. I love it. All right. So what do you got there? Well, what have I got here? I'm, I'm uh, playing with some Franklin Pierce information. We can we can talk even more about that next week. Okay. We've got um, a great Gildersleeve show tonight. We're going for variety, folks. <laughs> it is called Arrested as a Car Thief from January 11th, 1942. So we're just five weeks after Pearl Harbor right. here. And good old Leroy, he has four rabbits and he's going to represent his school in Fairfield at the Junior Rabbit Breeder Show. Mm -hmm. he, and, he and Gildy have made arrangements to go out by train. But good old Gildy has misdirected the train tickets to his uh, Leroy's aunt's house uh, in Fairfield so she's got the train tickets, and Gildy has the entry tickets for um, the rabbit show. I think this is so cute, a junior rabbit breeder show. <laughs> so Gildy decides they're going to drive the 300 miles. I think that's kind of interesting, since we're five weeks after Pearl Harbor. The gas rationing started May 14th, so it's a couple of months away. However, tire rationing had already been in effect for two weeks. That one, I was really surprised. That one went in wham-bam right away. Yeah. December 27th, 1941. Probably really early in the game, yeah. So we're less than three weeks after Pearl Harbor, we had tire rationing wow. already. And that, I just didn't know that. Mm -hmm. I did not realize it had gone in so quickly. With that in mind, we've got Gildy driving 300 miles. He's just going to fill up the car with gas and drive 300 miles. 
in this show. And that's, it just caught me by surprise. Does that surprise you? I never thought about it until you mentioned it, because I guess the, I thought all the rationing might kick in a little later, but you're right, I did not know tires went in so fast. Really fast. Uh, December 27, 1941. Yeah. Now, here, here we are in um, 42. January 42, so just a couple of weeks mm -hmm. after the tires went on the list, um, and it, it just sounded... Well, maybe you want, maybe you wanted the writers, because of the holiday, sure had a story sort of plotted out and sandbagged, and brought it out, rather than thinking about the times and the place and the elements. Uh-huh. I wondered whether there was something in the writing that put this in, or people just didn't recognize that this was going to be as serious and as long a restriction mm -hmm. as it turned out to be. That, you know, yep. it was just something that was going to happen for a couple of weeks until they got production going. Sure. And yada, 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 everything was going to be fine. Because that's the way they behaved in this show. Right. It really surprised me. <laughs> that in the middle, when when Bertie reported that Gildersleeve's car was missing because she thought they were on the train, she did talk about rubber robbers. That she thought uh -huh. robbers had taken the car. Yep. So in one sense, they're sending him on this frivolous 300-mile trip, and on the other side, Bertie is making up for it by calling the rubber shortage into into play. I mean, it, it just is such a juxtaposition that is very confusing to me. But be that as it may. They stop at a diner on their trip. Not only does Bertie think Gildersleeve's car is stolen because it's not in the garage where it's supposed to be, they stop at a diner, leave the diner, and drive off in somebody else's car. So now they've got two stolen cars. I mean, it really is a, a wonderful mess. So I've got three questions about this particular show that we're going to listen to. I'll give you the three questions, and if you are good enough to stay up and listen to this show, you can email an answer to me, and if it's correct, I will send you some radio shows. So the three questions, what kind of tires did Bertie report as being on Gildy's car when she reported it stolen? How many rabbits did Leroy start out with, and how many times did Gildy get arrested? Those are pretty good questions. Absolutely. There's a couple more we could add, too. Oh, we could add a whole bunch. I know. <laughs> what ones would you like to add? Um, who, what famous voice you hear at the commissioner? Uh huh. And the other one, when when you hear when you hear the closing, what are they promoting? I can't remember the closing. Ah, okay. I'll tell you when we get. All right. But I, the commissioner's voice. I I picked that one up and I thought, yeah. ah, well, we'll just. Because you you pointed this one out to me last night. Oh, that's I why did. We, yeah, that's why we he said listen to the whole show. So I did. So that's why I know why you picked it out. Oh, see, and I forgot what I asked you. <laughs> Oh, uh, that. But one of the really fun things in here that uh, Gildy has a Gladstone bag, which is a special kind of valise or um, suitcase mm -hmm. type thing. It opens at the, at the top, and let me let me think how it, how you would consider it. It opens almost like a baggie, a, a Ziploc bag. Uh -huh. Open it at the top, uh -huh. and um, it's a Gladstone bag. That's the name of it, and it was originally put out by the Gladstone Company. 
and Bertie got it mixed up and called it a happy rock. Glad stone, happy rock. Very nice. Oh, that was pretty cool. Very nice. That was pretty cool. So anyway, here we go. We have a great Gildersleeve show, Arrested as a Car Thief, from January 11th, 1942. And we will be back next week. In the meantime, happy birthday, Walden. Thank you, my dear. I hope you have a wonderful day. I hope so, too. Bye, everybody. Talk to you next week. Here we go. Kraft presents The Great Gildersleeve. <laughs> <laughs> Each week at this time, from Hollywood, California, Kraft presents Harold Perry as the Great Gildersleeve, written by Leonard L. Levinson. We'll hear from the Great Gildersleeve in just a moment. But first, times like these call for real thrift. Yes, we must save money to buy defense bonds, to help in any way we can. But we must be careful to economize wisely, especially when we economize on food, because the health and well-being that comes from nourishing food are vitally important, too. That's why delicious parquet margarine, the modern margarine made by Kraft, is a good thing to know about these days. First, parquet is so good-tasting, your family will want to spread it thick on toast, hot rolls, and bread. And parquet margarine is an economical source of food values important to a balanced diet. Parquet is a wholesome, nourishing food, one of the best sources of food energy there is. What's more, serving your family parquet margarine is a dependable way to give them vitamin A because every pound of parquet contains 9,000 units of this important vitamin. So why not start serving parquet margarine tomorrow? It's perfectly delicious for table use and for baking and pan frying too. Yes, you can economize wisely without sacrificing nourishment or flavor if you use parquet, spelled P-A-R-K-A-Y. And now let's visit our friend, the great Gildersleeve, who has, as you know, a nephew named Leroy, who has, as you probably don't know, four rabbits, named respectively Eeny, Meeny, Miney, and possibly Moe. Right now, they are preparing to go to Fairview, where Leroy is to represent his school at the Junior Rabbit Breeder Show, and all six of them are quite hopped up about the trip. <laughs> Now, take it easy, Leroy. Just be calm, like me. No use getting all excited about this. Not at all. Well, sounds very amusing. I, I, who's in it? Oh, uh, Fibba McGee and Molly. Oh, anybody else? Yeah, Charlie McCarthy and Edgar Bergen. Is that all? Oh, no. There's Mrs. Uppington and Harlow Wilcox and Lucille Ball. Well, well, yes, yes. Go on, Leroy. Oh, I almost forgot. And Throckmorton P. Gildersleeve. That's right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Look who's laughing. Yeah, good night, folks. <laughs> Original music heard on this program was composed and conducted by William Randolph. This is Jim Bannon speaking for the Kraft Cheese Company and inviting you to be with us again next week at the same time for the further adventures of The Great Gildersleeve. This is the National Broadcasting Company.
night, everybody. We love you all very, very much. You them all. Old Man Sunshine The party's over It's time to call it a day They've burst your pretty balloon And taken them off there It's time to wind up the masquerade. Just make your mind up. The piper must be paid. The party's over. The candles flicker and dim You danced and dreamed through the night It seemed to be right Just being with him Now you must wake up All dreams must end Take off your makeup, the party's over.